Every year in every sport, some team wins the conference championship, the pennant, the semifinals, the game before the game, the, the, the air quotes championship before the championship. And all of those teams, even though they know they haven't won the title, celebrate like they have. The confetti, the champagne, the t-shirts and hats. I guess some people are happy with those accomplishments and that's fine. It's really nice. Here are the 2021 Houston Astros wearing ALCS t-shirts and hats, spraying champagne on each other while manager Dusty Baker calls them, quote, the best team in the world. The Astros would go on to lose the World Series in six games. Here's a clip of the Kansas City Chiefs winning the 2020 AFC Championship. The CEO of the Chiefs, I guess that's a thing, is raising a little wireframe football thing, which I guess is the AFC Championship trophy. How about it, Chiefs fans? The Lord has blessed our family in so many ways. Red and yellow confetti is flying. The Lord is blessing. It's really unbelievable. Almost every player on the team is wearing that AFC Championship shirt and hat. One guy's posing for pictures and confetti. Another is doing a TikTok dance. Chiefs Kingdom, we're going to Tampa to run it back. The Chiefs lost the Super Bowl 31-9. But in 2008, Kobe Bryant and his Los Angeles Lakers finally made it back to the NBA Finals and faced their legendary yet hated rivals, the Bucks. The Lakers lost that Finals in embarrassing fashion, getting blown out in Game 6. That very next season, the 2009 Los Angeles Lakers played with a chip on their shoulders, determined to finish the job. They returned to the NBA Finals, beat the Orlando Magic, and won the franchise's 15th NBA championship. But, job's not finished. Job finished? I don't think so. The 2010 Lakers won 57 games, ran through the first two rounds of the playoffs, and met the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals. The Lakers took a 2-0 lead. The Suns came back and tied the series. Game 5 is remembered for Metal World Peace's rebound and put back at the buzzer. Game 6 is remembered for Kobe Bryant driving a stake through Phoenix's heart. While nursing a 5-point lead with 40 seconds left in the game, Kobe got the ball out past the 3-point line, faced up against Grant Hill, took one hard dribble into his upbake, then shot a fadeaway from 21 feet. Bryant, yes! With a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Kobe turned out the lights and slapped Suns coach Alvin Gentry on the ass. But waiting for the Lakers in the NBA Finals were those same goddamn bulls who beat LA two years prior. Is it time for t-shirts and hats, some champagne, and a Western Conference Championship trophy? Or is it time to send a message? And a Laker legend, Michael Cooper, is here to do the honors in presenting this trophy to the Western Conference champions. Coop? First of all, we'd like to say congratulations to the Phoenix Suns and their organization for making having a fabulous playoff run. And to the Lakers for the third straight year, Coach Jackson, his coaching staff, uh, for winning the Western Conference Championship. And Boston, you want us? Here we come. No smiles, no words, no fun, all business. That's the coolest trophy presentation of all time. And this is First Ballot.
Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, and a true believer in the power of famed Hollywood actor Wood Harris. The Western Conference Finals, Game 6, and more importantly, and specifically, the trophy presentation that followed, is not always what some people would consider to be a Hall of Fame sports moment, but I am here today to make sure moving forward you see it as such. And here to do it with me is a very special guest. You know, for a moment, if you you will, please. I never started a podcast because they're fucking gross. Who cares what any podcast host has to say? What makes you the goddamn expert on something, you podcast host? But I will admit, starting this podcast has been a lot of fun, in part because I can relive these sports moments and really enjoy them. The more I work on this, the more I realize sports moments are the only things that sports fans get. The jerseys, the apparel, all that other stuff. The, the, the players come in and out. There's no, there's nothing solid. But the moments are mine. I get to keep those. Those are for me. So reliving these moments has been fun. The other thing that's been really fun about starting this podcast, I can bring on people that I'm genuinely very interested and curious about and want to talk to. And that is who my next guest is today. He's the creator and co-host of BuzzFeed's and now Hulu's ultra-successful Unsolved series. He was also the host of Unsolved Sports Conspiracy and now is the proprietor of the Watcher Network on YouTube. He created and or hosts Are You Scared, Puppet History, Top 5 Beatdown. The list goes on and on. It's Mr. Ryan Bergara. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely intro that I definitely did not deserve. I got to start this off by saying been a big fan of yours for a long time i know that might be weird to hear and i I don't want to make you feel old but i've been following you for like (laughs) the better part of like you know 12 years me and my pals would always send your tweets back and forth and our little text messages being like uh look what godham coach said today wow that's a take um (laughs) (laughs) yeah you've been one of my favorite twitter followers for a long time so uh, this is actually a huge honor what a that's insane that's really that's really dumb on Twitter, 2018, you said you are, quote, half Japanese, half Mexican with a sprinkle of Filipino. Is that the case? That's right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, t- you are a Filipino today, motherfucker. We are claiming That's- you. I'm half Filipino. And on behalf of all Filipinos, full-blooded and mixed, we are claiming Ryan Bergara as a successful person. We need Ryan Bergara for the inspiration. Thank you so much. <laughs> You know what? I, I I will I will accept that, and I am Filipino, though it is only an eighth. My dad is a quarter no. Filipino, uh, but I will say that I've already kind of had that Filipino acceptance experience, and that uh, a large majority of our fan base internationally is from the Philippines. Hell so, and I yeah. think that's because the word has gotten out that I am. You've uh, got a the blood. That's right. Yeah. Listen. Half Japanese, half Mexican, 100% Filipino. That's the case. No, that math works out. Yeah. <laughs> also, for the record, half Japanese, half Mexican, isn't that kind of what a Filipino person is anyways? Essentially, it comes out in the wash <laughs> as a Filipino. Uh, it would be much easier for me to just say I'm Filipino, and people would be like, yeah, that right. makes sense. Look at your right. face. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it feels the reason why I usually just say half Mexican, half Japanese is because I sound like the most obnoxious person on earth to be like, well, I'm uh, half Japanese, three eighths Mexican and one eighth Filipino. And I just it just I want to kick my own ass when I hear that. So I just I just 
I guess in that sense, though, I am shunning my Filipino blood. So you know what? Maybe going forward, I will always be sure to include that. I appreciate it. No, <laughs> you should be proud of who you are. I appreciate you being here. You, thank you. We man. ran through your. We ran through a small portion of your impossibly impressive credit list earlier in the intro. Did you know that you always wanted to make shows? Did Did you know that media was going to be in your future? Like, is that what you wanted? Did you dream about that as a kid? Honestly, I, I always knew that I wanted to be in the film industry, but I wanted to be a director. I mean, like, I'm holding, like, a Steven Spielberg mug right here. Actually, this, <laughs> this mug has, like, all of my, like, cinema heroes and then just that picture of Kobe, which is my favorite picture of Kobe, of him looking very forlorn and sad after winning his second chip. The best. Um, but, no, I always kind of knew. I wanted to be a director, went to film school about a year in. I was like, hey, I'm not... I'm not very good at this, and I don't like it, and it stresses me out. I'm a very anxious person, mm. so uh, it was just a lot having people ask me a bunch of questions. So I switched over to cinematography, did that for a little bit, uh, graduated with cinematography, and then was you know worked in lighting and stuff for like a couple years in the film industry. Really didn't like that, and then I just kind of pivoted to going to this like company called BuzzFeed. Um, where they allowed me to just kind of make videos in my own content, which was something I did in high school because uh, I did like sketch and uh, and video making in high school. And I had no idea that that was going to kind of morph into what my right. career has become now, right. which is basically the professional version of what I did in high school, which was right. making Amazing. content and, and performing. And I figured out I really liked it and I was actually decent at it. So I kind of just, you know, took what the defense was giving me there. Uh, Can I say something very quickly? First off, I love any sort of basketball, any sports analogy, and you you dropped that one perfectly. It was great. I loved it. Uh, it, it, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I will say, if you think about it, trying to think of a player. Let me let me think of. Let's let's go, Alex Caruso. He's a Laker that I'm sure you loved. I loved certainly. Alex Caruso. My guess. Alex Caruso grew up in Texas. And dreamed yeah. about becoming a professional basketball player. You, yeah. as a kid, dreamed about being in this industry. Now you wanted to direct, and my guess is you'll end up going on to direct stuff when you fe- when you've got the right project and you're inspired and you want to do it. But now you are in this industry and you're making content. You're doing it the way you want to do it. You're hosting things. People see your personality. They love you. Your fans love you. They love the content. It's being viewed all over the planet by millions and millions of people. You're doing it. You're living out your dream in the same way an NBA player goes, this is what I always wanted to do. I think that's very impressive and is worth mentioning. Oh, thank you. And I and I have to say that uh, taking any compliment makes me immediately uncomfortable, which really does I prove know. that I am uh, fully Asian in that sense. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> in our culture. A compliment is like poison. It it it, it hits my yes. system and I start to crumble yes. away. But uh, I appreciate that. It's very nice all of you to say. All of you people that have agreed to be on this show, it's I it's I'm like you guys are way too. What you're doing is awesome. It needs to be acknowledged. And also, well, why are you wasting your time doing the show? Anyways, let's just keep moving past that. You got honestly, you, man. You, it's a huge honor. It's no, a huge honor. Please, I really do want to. I, I really mean that. I told my friends I'm coming on this show, and they were all very jealous. I I, oh God, I have the receipts. Listen. To prove it, uh, yeah. <laughs> this will all be cut from the show, Rob. Get ready. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you you do a lot of supernatural content. You do a lot That's of right. yeah. true crime content. How did you get in specifically? How did you get into the supernatural stuff? Were you always well, like a I mean, supernatural also- guy? Like, how did you fall into that sort of genre? Yeah, I mean, I think that's also kind of like inherently baked in 
to being half Mexican, half Japanese. <laughs> Both of those cultures very much right. uh, live in the world of superstition. Right. Uh, you know, growing up with tales of uh, El Kukui or like uh, La Llorona or any sort of like long-haired Japanese ghoul-looking person. <laughs> I remember my grandma, uh, uh, R.I.P. grandma, I'm going to tell a very strange story about you. She used to babysit us when we were younger and she had like really long hair that would like go down to like her hips and when she would walk around in her nightgown she straight up looked like a ghost <laughs> and so and she knew that too so she would like hide around the house and like pop out to scare us and so it's it's built into right. the culture yes. of just like ghosts are real uh fear the supernatural live your life with uh one eye uh looking behind right. you just keeping your eyes peeled. It's it's very much in the culture. And then on top of that, I always enjoyed those goofy ghost shows, yeah. the go the ghost hunting mm -hmm. shows. I always thought they were ridiculous, and I always, despite that, was very interested in in the in the subject matter. And I realized like, hey, nobody's really talking about ghosts or covering ghost hunting in a way that real normal people yes, would. Right. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do that w with my pal, and we're gonna kind of do a comedy show inside a haunted house and that's what unsolved became it kind of just became like the uh, the layman's way of ghost hunting it's really entertaining it's really yeah. worth watching i really quite enjoy it ryan i i i watched an interview and i saw that you said <clears throat> when you tell people that you are a ghost hunter a lot of people want to tell you their ghost stories now i want you to know we're fucking 100% talking about ghost stories in this. Will you listen, sir, you deal in ghosts. We are talking about ghosts on this thing. That's we're not right. going to do it now, but I want you to prepare. We're talking about ghosts. I don't care if people ask you about That's this stuff fair. all the time. We are talking about ghost stuff. Yeah, it, it comes with the territory. Like if I, you know, if I met LeBron James, I'm not going to ask right. him about his investment portfolio. Right. I'm going to talk to him about what was it like to, right. to pack Iguodala's shit <laughs> In the, in the 2016 finals. We're going to get into it. But before we dive into our moment, let's table set. I need your favorite sport, mm -hmm. your favorite team, and your favorite athlete. Uh, my favorite sport is basketball, the NBA. Uh, though I, 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 you know, I'm a fan of like Euro basketball and all that stuff too. Um, especially since, of, you know, all the, the, the people that have come out of the Euro yes. League now. I mean, watching Luka is, is crazy. Um, but my favorite team has been and always will be the Lakers. Uh, also, unfortunately, the Chargers. <clears throat> uh, it's been a rough road for us Chargers fans. I, I would, I think you could make the argument that we've had, uh, you know, a road of spikes that <laughs> no other fan has had to walk across. Like every Chargers game or loss is just, <laughs> just a real rose thorn in the butthole. It just, it's maximum pain, maximum friction, uh, and just like I think there was like a stat. Uh, on one of like the past Chargers seasons where it, it listed the probability of Chargers losing certain games in the way they did. <laughs> and all of them were like almost impossible. And they <laughs> happened in succession. And I was just like, okay, so at least ESPN is finally acknowledging <laughs> the pain that it is to be a Chargers fan. Um, and then your favorite and, athlete. You know, Kobe. Kobe's 100% my favorite athlete. Great answer. Very typical of an Angelino to say that. Uh, but... You know, look, I'm not going to lie. I buy into all of it. The Mamba mentality off the court. I, I read the book. Been a, a lifelong <laughs> Laker fan. I had his shoes when I was, uh, when, you know, the Kobe ones the, that I actually think are quite beautiful. Uh, agreed that the, uh, the the Kobe 2 Adidas version is, 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 is rough. But uh, 
been a big fan of the guy, obviously, and, until the unfortunate uh, end there. So, um, yeah, it's he's the best. He's, there's no one that's going to come close. He's great. Yeah. Let's discuss our moment. Let's dive in. Each week, we decide whether our moment should make the first belt Hall of Fame by going through our Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moments. The first credential here today, as we discuss the 2010 Western Conference Finals trophy presentation, is the test nice. of time. The test of time is when we look back into the past and we compare our moment against other moments just like it. I want to play you a couple of things. This is the Boston Rob. My editor, Rob, be prepared to beep every time we mention the Boston Celtics. Thank you. This <laughs> is the Eastern Conference Championship trophy presentation that just happened here this year. Now, how about them damn Celtics? On behalf of the I am getting this trophy right now for the Eastern Conference guys who just won it. And I'm handing it over right now to the old man, Al Horford. All right, here is the Milwaukee Bucks from last year, their trophy presentation, Eastern Conference champs. To the 2021 Eastern Conference champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. John, while they celebrate. And here once more is the Lakers Western Conference Championship trophy presentation. In Boston, you want us? Here we come. Mitch, absolute pure dead silence. Yeah, and look, <clears throat> for anybody that has found uh, any of this podcast so far somewhat like a certain level of palatable, it's probably going to go really take a nosedive <laughs> quick here because I'm not going to hold back on how insufferable of a Laker fan I'm going to be in this <laughs> podcast. I'm just going to put that disclaimer up top here because, frankly, hearing all those back-to-back-to-back like that, it, it's kind of embarrassing a, for the uh, for the other teams. Say it again. It's it's frankly, I mean, it's cute. It's very <laughs> it's cute. cute. But you you got to remember our our Western Conference Finals uh, trophies. You know, those are like paperweights for the for Laker fans, that's and, and right. that's like what the the that's the third Finals appearance in a row. Uh, after you know, not even being what ten years removed from the previous. Uh, four trips to the finals back in the early 2000s. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's you've said it so many times before. That is how you accept a conference finals trophy. That's right. Um, and every time I hear that presentation, I could see it. I, I think hearing the audio undersells how just just fucking delicious it is to see no expression that's right. on any of the players' faces. Exactly. With the exception of, uh, of Adam Morrison, who always looks like he sneaks into every clip that he's ever been in in his whole life. I imagine uh, his birthday photos feel that way. But uh, yeah, it's a, uh, other than him, everyone dead faced. It, I, I love it. If you watch that clip as a sports fan and, and your junk, does it wiggle a little bit? You're not a sports fan. It's it, to me. It's a, uh, it, it's fantastic. It, it is the outlier. No one does what they did in that moment. And it just felt, special because it was unlike any other trophy presentation that you see it was a bunch of people that went 
we are focused on something else, and I realize that we're insufferable, miserable Lakers fans. We just had a terrible season, <laughs> and we're going to spend 90 minutes today talking about how great the Lakers are. Every time I watch this, that clip, I, I feel like the Incredible Hulk. I feel like I could tear my shirt off. I just, I'm, I love this moment so much because it's different, because these gentlemen went the other way from from all of these these celebrating fools, these people who are happy and satisfied with this this thing that they've gotten and been given to them. I just appreciate how locked in those guys are, and it it gives me power. Oh no, that's that's exactly why I watched that clip exclusively shirtless because I was tired of busting <laughs> through them every time I, I I saw that bad boy. Uh, also, I love uh, uh, Coop's Michael Cooper's. Oh <laughs> His little kind of like backhanded compliment to the Suns, like he's saying like congratulations, uh, he's saying congratulations on like a, a successful season right. and whatnot. But really, he's just kind of asserting the dominance. Right. And to me, that was especially tasty because this was kind of a way for Laker fans and Kobe at the time to exercise some demons because the Suns had eliminated us two times in the playoffs prior. One of which I still think about to this day. I know we're not talking about that series. But that Tim Thomas shot that he hits in game six, Kwame Brown goes for a stupid-ass pump fake, and (sighs) uh, they they end up winning game six. That's a series that I look back on, and I wonder how deep in the playoffs we would have went in that 06 uh, season. And to beat them in this way on their home court— just gratifying. Amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. And you're right that that series, that series we lost on that Tim Thomas shot, it was devastating. I've had roommates and significant others tell me that I need to reevaluate yeah. my relationship yep. with the Lakers I because I get so emotionally invested, so angry yes. that it, it it actually starts to affect my my health. I know. I hate them. Our next credential is <laughs> analytics. Not too much to talk about here. People love stats, but there's not too many stats. We're talking about a press conference for God's sakes. Here is one stat. Zero. That's how many dudes made a sound when that trophy got handed over. What I think is worth mentioning here is that there are people on camera. If you watch the clip, go to our Instagram at First Ballot HOF. Watch the clip. There are people on camera. There's a bunch of people on camera. My guess is there's at least another 30 or 40 behind the cameras. Trainers, the dudes that carry the sneakers, Laker media. No one makes a goddamn peep. What do you think happened in that locker room before the presentation? You know, man, that I didn't even think about that. That like even like down to the equipment. No manager, one says like, folks a in word. The background. How do you think that message got delivered? My guess would be maybe Kobe was like, "Nobody make a peep here. No one make any noise. This is not important. Yes. Keep your eye on the goal." It's possible right. that is something that happened, but it's also very possible that just this was the third straight finals right. run for this organization. And that has an effect right. top to bottom right. about how you carry right. yourself. I think either scenario, whether it's Kobe delivering a message, and I think there are multiple paths there. There could be Kobe walking around and telling everyone quietly, like, hey, don't forget, like, lock in here. Or it could have been him standing in the middle of the room and barking, nobody fucking reacts to anything in this. We got to send a message. It could have also been Phil Jackson that did that. But either that scenario or the scenario of, hey, this is old hat. We've been here before. Hand the ball back to the referee. We just scored the touchdown. Hand the ball to the referee and go kick this field goal because it's time to get to business. Either one of those scenarios, very, very cool. Other stats quickly. Kobe had 37 on 12 of 25, shooting three of eight from three, six boards, two assists, and two steals. Ron Artest had 25 on 10 of 16 from the field, four of seven from three, four boards, two assists, three steals, 
And remember, game five just before this, yeah. Ron Artest met a world piece, the rebound and put back at the buzzer to give the Lakers the lead in the series. A phenomenal game that happened in front of this championship trophy presentation, uh, and that certainly adds to it. No, I mean, I I, I had this screenshot saved of, <laughs> of Kobe's stats this series. It, it's absurd. Like, 40 in game one, 21 in game two, 36 in game three, 38 game four, 30 in game five, 37 in game six. <laughs> it's got to be up there in one of the most impressive Western Conference Finals performances I've ever seen, or Conference Finals, rather. Look, I know it's not about, this is about the press conference and not so much about the game, but he was absolutely absurd this game. The shots he was making, we were all laughing our asses off because they were ridiculous. Like, he's making shots over double teams, faders, lying down horizontal <laughs> jump shots. There was one where I remember he pump fakes, I believe it was uh, Jared Dudley, takes a step in and throws up a floater between Dudley yes. and Fry's hands, yep. and it cuts immediately to a Suns fan who just looks like exhausted. Yes. He, looks, <laughs> yes. he looks like he personally has been trying to defend Kobe himself. <laughs> and there's like two people next to him. One of them has like their hands over their face like they're watching The Conjuring or something like that. And there's another girl who's just shaking her head and mouthing, wow, yes. her eyes are like bulging out of her head. It's incredible. I would say it's in the Hall of Fame just for those, those reaction shots alone. Because uh, <laughs> I don't know how he made some of these shots. Down to like the last one that he made where he, you know, he does the, the double pump and then fade away dagger, <laughs> smacks Elvin Gentry on the ass, and then goes into a fucking airplane celebration on an opposing team's floor in a closeout game? The amount of disrespect that that is, is, I mean, I, I don't think you could get more disrespectful than fucking spanking the opposing coach's ass and then airplaning back to the bench. I don't know. It's it's an incredible game, an incredible moment, and then to follow it up with this press conference after. I mean, what, what a night. I, I want to sort of let the audience know when, Ryan, when we started talking about which moment we were going to discuss on the show, you brought up this shot, this 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 double pump fadeaway on two guys, two defenders, Grant Hill being one of them, great defender, he, Kobe makes the shot, turns around, slaps Elvin Gentry on the ass. We were going, and then the airplane, which is it's so carefree of Kobe to slap a coach on the <laughs> ass and then just airplane his way back to the to the, his bench. It's just amazing. We were going to make the entire episode about that specific moment, but to me, to fold these things in together, to know that Kobe just slapped the coach's ass and then airplanes back. <laughs> And then 10 minutes later is stone cold in the locker room sending a message to his upcoming opponents in the Boston Again, Rob, please beep all mentions of the Boston That to me makes this moment even more amazing that those two things were juxtaposed. You mentioned loving Kobe's performance. It is amazing. I love a long two. I know that like analytically it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. But to me, long twos are like... I got to rush the shot up. I'm in a bad spot. I got to kind of get out. Like, no one goes, I'm going to stand on the three-point line and take this long two. They know that now. So when you see a long two, yeah. it's like there's a little bit of desperation. There's a little bit of, like, I got forced into this. And to me, Kobe was the best at shooting long twos because there's dudes draped all over him. He's spinning out of double teams. He's fading away. He's drifting towards the sidelines. A ton of long twos in that game. And then the other thing I love about that game, Doug Collins, who might be my favorite color analyst of all time, all night long is just full of, like, ugh, 
And then Kobe's sitting shots. Yeah. He's going, come on. Oh, Wyatt, oh. yes. Like, it's all, like, real reactions to Kobe hitting these crazy circus shots. Oh, no, it's crazy. Like, the announcers are totally giving it up. Like, he's saying stuff like, you can't defend that, Marv. You can't defend that. <laughs> and Marv Albert, even Marv Albert, who's pretty impartial, I would say, um, he's saying stuff like, oh, what a shot, or that is an insane shot. How did he get that over that guy? Because, like, a lot of these were over, you know, he's not a world-beating world, beat, uh, world defender by any means, Channing Fry, but he is long. Yes. And to get it over his outstretched hands is an accomplishment I think it's like maybe the greatest display of shot making in a single game that I've ever seen. Mm. And I don't, it's going to be hard to top it because the shots were that ridiculous. The only thing that comes kind of close was, I don't know if you recall LeBron against the Raptors. Course, and yeah. I forget which playoff run it was. I think it was 2018. Yeah. That dude made some crazy shots that game. Crazy shots. Ryan, it's time for some ghost talk. <laughs> Are... <laughs> All right. I knew this was coming. <laughs> Are you really afraid of ghosts and or demons? Absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been beat into me by my experiences as a, as a child. And also, I mean, my co-host, I don't know if you know anything about the show. If yes. you don't, I believe in ghosts, but my uh, co-host is a complete skeptic. Yes. He thinks it's all a load of bullshit. Uh, he, he would beg to differ, but I challenge anybody who's listening to this to go stand in a haunted location right. by yourself right. in the dark, which is what we do. The crew leaves the building and they just leave me in there and they lock the door. They leave me like in a prison. They leave me in Alcatraz. They leave me there completely alone. If you could do that and you're like, I'm not scared, well, kudos to you, man. I'm honestly impressed. <laughs> it's fucked up, man. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. Uh, and I, I'm not ashamed of that. You guys do a great job in the show of leaving space and air so that you you as a viewer kind of get to for a second to sort of sink into the the vibe and the feel it's really effective. yeah yeah um what is the best evidence you have that ghosts are real okay so there's two things one when we were in the sorrel weed house that's in savannah georgia it, there's a house there that um at the time was i think it was like it, it was like the end of the british line during the american revolution mm. it was called the siege of savannah mm. and uh, American forces shot a cannonball into this stronghold house. It crashed through into the basement, killed, I think, like eight British soldiers. So me being a prick, I'm down there in the basement yelling, one and oh, one and oh, that's our record against you guys in, you know, in wars. And I'm like, just really being a piece of shit. And at that moment, I see a person walk right in front of me, like right in, I, I want to say about 20 yards, maybe, maybe less, but in front of me in the same room. And it was so much like a dude that I didn't even, my first thought wasn't, oh, that's a ghoul. My first thought was like, that's a guy. how did that guy right. get into our set? Right. Well, this is a locked set. Right. The perimeter is locked. Right. There's no way right. that's, that dude got in here. Right. And then it dawned on me that like, hey, that is impossible. Right. Let me go into the room that he walked into. And I, I run over, walk into the room, and it's literally just a brick room. There's no windows, no doors. He's just, it's just gone. He's gone. And that's when like the wave of realization right. crashes down on me that like, holy shit, that wasn't a guy. Right. That, that, was a, that was a straight up uh, specter. So there's that. And then in, a, in the Old City Jail episode, we catch what I think is somebody, uh, a person walking past a camera. Shane thinks it's like a car. Shane's my co-host. Um, I don't know. Those are probably the two pieces of strongest evidence that i would say but we also have a new ghost show coming out called ghost files and we have some pretty crazy stuff that we captured in that 
Can we talk just for a moment about the flashlight mm-hmm. at Sally House? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> that was a crazy occurrence at the time. So if I'll give you the skeptical version of it first. Or you know what? Let's just start with the facts. There is a flashlight that we have on a kitchen counter, right. and we're in a haunted place right. where there's supposed to be a little girl right. demon right. there. Uh, or a, a demon that's presenting itself as a little girl. Whatever. There's a flashlight sitting on the counter. We ask it to turn on. It turns on. It turns on. And then we ask it. I saw. I mean, yeah. it turns. Okay. So I just want to. I'm just doubling down here. I just want everybody to hear what he's saying. You you can go to YouTube right now if you haven't seen it. You can. It, the, the, the flashlight is sitting on the counter. It turns on. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. And then it turns off. It turns off. When, uh, when we ask it, it to turn it, off. Wait one second. Let me say this again. It turns off. They go turn it on. If someone's here, turn it on. And the thing goes on. And then they go, okay, well, then turn it off. And it turns off. It's It's insane. And then it, I think it does that again when we ask you to turn it back on. And then it starts to just, the flashlight starts just rolling around. Yes. It's just like something moved it. Which is, this is all, cra- this all actually happened. And you could see my reaction because up to that point in the night, nothing had happened really. Like it was kind of boring. And most ghost investigations are right, boring right. as hell. That's why we made it into a comedy show where right. we make jokes. Right. You, simply, you got to fill air right. a little right. bit. It, it, and uh, I was getting a little sleepy. And then that happened, and I lost my mind because that was, to that point, the craziest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. It, it completely shattered my concept of reality. Crazy. I needed to get out of that house. I remember running out of the house, going on the front lawn, hyperventilating, being like, I can't believe that just happened. Even my skeptic co-host was like, I think he says, like, I don't know, man, maybe flashlights are funny right, sometimes. yes. Which is the biggest non-answer right. I've ever heard in my life. Shane makes the argument, it's cylindrical. <laughs> it rolls. That's what it does. Which, you know, sure valid point valid point but for it to all happen on command i think it's pretty fun and you know i think that's where the show lives in that you can make a strong argument either way uh we don't you know you know particularly say anyone's right or wrong and i think that's kind of why the show has found some success because whether you believe or not there's something for you to root for when i mean it happens when you go back to the sally house the thing turns on and off again as you're talking to it it just i found that to be very compelling that footage so again if you haven't watched it go to youtube and and search for it it's amazing and and i will say as i'm watching it the skeptic in me goes someone had it on a remote someone had someone rigged that that flashlight to be on a remote but Shane's reaction makes me go, okay, he was clearly he's clearly not in on this thing. If this thing is a setup, he is not in on it because his reaction made me go, okay, now what was that? Like I'm like, please someone explain that to me. And again, I, I appreciate hearing the skeptics explain something because it doesn't make any sense to me that that it happened on cue. And it's also like a big testament to him. I mean, honestly, he did not understand how that flashlight turned on and off in the moment. Right. And the fact that his reaction to that was to laugh like the fucking Joker, <laughs> there's something wrong with his brain. Like, whatever part of your brain that processes fear, it doesn't exist for him. There's like a clip that went viral of him. We were in a haunted house. I set up this whole thing for a scare actor to jump out of a spot that no scare actor should ever jump out of. He got inches within this dude's face. Everyone else we did that to lost their mind. He doesn't even flinch. It's like Matt Barnes putting <laughs> yeah. the ball into Kobe's face. He doesn't flinch. There's something wrong with him. I, I think, I honestly fear for him sometimes because I'm thinking, you know, fear is a survival right, thing. Right. It's, it's, it's useful right. 
to humans, it's been developed. You know, when you're out in the jungle and you see a fucking jaguar or something, you're supposed to be like, oh, shit, don't want to get eaten by that and run away. He doesn't have that. He would get eaten immediately, like in any sort of like prehistoric times like he, he is the psychopath i like us taking this opportunity to make sure that everyone knows that shane is the psychopath for the way he reacts oh to he's a psycho <laughs> no he's crazy if, if shane on a scale of zero to 100 100 being like i met a ghost and had breakfast with him or something and zero is there are no ghosts and you're an idiot for believing in them where does shane land and has shane's number moved at all through all of your careers Zero. Completely zero. <laughs> he gets asked this all the time. And he, he it's it's like people are begging him to be like two? You <laughs> right, know, right, like right. three? <laughs> but he he simply has not seen anything that moves the needle even a little right. bit for him. And that to me is frustrating yes. because it's now become some sort of like quest for me to prove to him that they're real. <laughs> uh, but I will say that the day that he says, okay, you got it. Right. I think I've proven it. I mean, we have, I don't even know how many episodes now, but like uh, that show is, is over now. We're moving into a different version of the show on our channel now, which I'm really excited about. But uh, if we could accomplish that, you know, over seven years of doing this and he finally admits it, I, I think it might be the greatest piece of internet content of all time. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, we, one, have proven a ghost is real and two, get to thumb our nose <laughs> at one of the douchiest skeptics of all time. <laughs> um <laughs> and and I say douchey affectionately. He he knows that. Uh, that's just how we talk to each other. Um, but I'm curious. Do you believe in ghosts, Neil? I do not believe in ghosts. My wife very much believes in ghosts. And, nice. Um, I she has made me be open to the idea that there could be ghosts. I think because I find her smart. And when she says things, I go, well, this lady's smart. Like, I, I, you know, am with her for a reason. And if she yeah. so fervently believes in it, like, maybe she's right. And, and that's where I live now is like, I don't know, maybe. And I see things that I find to be very compelling. And I go, that's a lot of fun to think about. Uh, can I tell you a quick story? This is, I should not be wasting our time doing this. The audience oh, is like, sure. could you please no, no talk worries. about this Western Conference Championship? Uh my wife, we, we have a place. Um, yeah. My wife meets a person in her life that is a medium. And um, mm. she is going to come sage the house. My wife has asked this woman to come sage the house. And I'm like, what? She's like, this lady's going to come sage the house. Do you care? And I'm like, I don't care. Whatever you want to do. And my wife goes, <laughs> so I was talking to her. She came to sage the house and she felt like there was a spirit. And my wife went, I never told you this story, but on the first night we moved in, I woke up in the middle of the night because I thought you were sitting on my legs. But I didn't Ooh. share the story with you because I thought you'd like make fun of me. And, and I was like, oh my God, I feel so terrible that my wife is admitting to me that she did not share this like thing that moved her. And probably worried her because she's like, you're going to make fun of me because you're like an asshole. And I'm like, oh, I feel terrible about that. So I apologize that she felt that way. I listened to her tell this story. She says this. She thought for certain I was sitting on her legs. And so she asked this woman to come sage the house because that happened. And yeah. the woman goes, yes, I'm going to come sage your house. Like she didn't have whatever, you know, sage she needed with her at the time. She had just come to like get a vibe on the house. 
She goes, I'm going to come back later. My wife goes, you're good with this, right? And I'm like, whatever you need to do. I, I don't mind. And she's like, how do you feel that like the woman says there's a spirit here? And I thought you were sitting on my legs. I think there's a spirit here. And I go, doesn't affect me. And that's like my whole thing is I'm like, I've never seen it. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't change the channel on me. If there's a ghost in this house, it has not affected my life at all. And I do not mind it yeah. living here. And about yeah. two weeks later, I'm working. It's like two in the morning and I'm working. And my I see my wife come out of the bedroom and she walks down the yeah. hall and she goes like to the kitchen. And I'm thinking she's going to get food and then she's going to double back and go, why are you still up working late? And we're going to talk and she's going to tell me to turn down the TV and then she's going to go back up to bed. And about a half hour later, I'm still working and I go, wait, where did my wife go? And I go to the kitchen. There's nobody in the kitchen. And I go, but I saw someone walk out of the room. Oh, shit. And about I about two days later, it happened again where I was like, my wife is up. And then nothing ever happened. And I told my wife, I was like, hey. And again, this comes from a guy that's like raised by um, people, that scientists, people that do not believe in this baloney. And I say that respectfully. Yeah. I never yeah. believed in this. I don't believe in this. But I'm telling you, I thought I. So when you told that story earlier about something crossing your face and you being like, that is a person and I know that's a person. And how did that person get in here? It's the same thing. I was like, my wife just went to get food from the kitchen because I saw someone walk out of this room. I, I have a couple follow ups to this whole thing. First one is the moment you realize, oh, that wasn't my wife. What is going through your mind so the, in that moment? So the first time I went, wow, that's that was you know that was weird. That's all I thought, and I'm literally back to work. Like I'm telling you, in one ear and out the other, like a fleeting thought. This that's crazy. The, but the second, <laughs> crazy. The second time it happened, because the first the first time I'm like, and when I watch your show, you go, I hear footsteps coming from right here, and I go, that's a house, man. Houses make old noises, like yeah. they're it's yeah. old wood. Yeah. But the second time it happened, where I was like certain I saw someone, certain. The second time yeah. I went, okay, now I got to tell this story to my wife because she she's going to make something out of this. I still wasn't like I wasn't scared, but I was like how why am I why does this keep happening now? So you didn't even get that kind of like icy chill you get even like you know when you leave your house and you're like, "Oh shit, did I leave the door unlocked?" Yeah. That kind of feeling. No, the second the second uh, you didn't even get that. The second time because I saw it and I was like, "That's got to be my wife." And then the light in the kitchen did not go on. I went, "Okay, now you like your my stomach dropped a little bit. I got a little bit of that icy chill." Yeah. And then it became, "Oh, I've got to share this with my wife. I've got to wake her up and tell her." And I didn't wake her up, but I that I it instantly became something I was excited about sharing because I knew she would really appreciate it and enjoy it. But at no real time was I like something is going to affect me or hurt me because no ghost or spirit has ever impacted my life in any shape or form. So I go, even <laughs> if they exist, who cares? Like it just doesn't affect me. One could make the argument that you're due then, but uh, I will say there is nothing completely, there's nothing more unnerving than being in a room and seeing someone walk past a doorway in your house right. and you don't know who That's they right. are. And my second follow-up from, from that whole story, that lady came to sage the house, but she didn't bring the sage the first time, so... She does a vibe check first and then comes back yeah. with the sage. It seems wildly inefficient. It's a, 
for certain. And it would have saved me these stories. I wish she had done it the first time. She also said, I'm, this is the wrap up here. She said when she came to stage the house. And again, I don't know whether this person is legit or not. She comes, she sages the house. She tells my wife, the spirit actually came home with me, which apparently that happens where like they'll connect themselves to. Yeah, yeah. She says the spirit, and then I never had that experience ever again. I probably had it. Two, I mentioned the second time. I probably had it like three or four times in the window from my wife telling me the initial story and the woman actually coming to stage the house. I probably had that sensation of I'm almost certain I saw this thing like three or four times. And then once she said it left with her, it never happened to me again. It's I, I am I am the son of scientists and I go, I've never seen one. There's just I don't even know why I would believe. But again, my wife believes in it so fervently that I'm like, I don't know, maybe who knows? Why not? Why not? Why not just open ourselves to that as a possibility? I think it's interesting and fun. Um, the the next credential. Getting back to our moment. We're gonna. I mean, this is gonna be the longest podcast. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to our moment. The next credential is the eye test. What did you see in the footage outside of the stats that added to this moment's greatness? Anything you saw in this Western Conference Finals trophy presentation? I mean, honestly, the the thing that jumps out to me the most is the absolute commitment yes. to the yep. bit of every single Laker yep. player, whether they did it by choice yep. or out of fear tactics from from. Uh, from the Mamba, right. they all look so unbelievably stern, and some of them, frankly, indifferent. Uh, and like I already pointed out, Pau Gasol, his face hilarious because him trying to mean mug, funny in itself. <laughs> uh, Derek Fisher looks straight up murderous. Really like does. that looks like a man who has bodies buried in his backyard. <laughs> and to that point, I was like, this is a pretty wholesome dude, you know. <laughs> yes. Like, but seeing him angry, I was like, fuck, man, that guy looks like he could murder me with his bare hands. The, um, I, I, I love I, it. I have this exact same comment. The commitment to the bit is electric. The, the one thing that I do want to mention here, and I think this is a tiny strike against it, one person okay. demonstrably moves. Now, there are people that are shifting back and forth, sort of shifting their weight. There are people that are sort of, you know, um, you know, getting their, their jersey right. Uh, uh, but yeah, there's yeah. one person that moves, and it's Kobe. And it's right as the trophy gets handed over. I think he goes to cough. It's strange that the only person that kind of sort of breaks is Kobe Bryant. That That is like the only strike against it. And again, he's clearly committed. He's clearly probably the reason yeah, that this yeah. is all happening. But for him to move, if he does not move, it's truly like the, 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 the car blows up and the guy walking away with the sunglasses. It's like that level of cool if Kobe does not move. If Kobe doesn't move, we're not even debating this. It's already in the Hall of Fame. To me, that is the only strike I can find against this moment. To be, I mean, to be fair, I think it maybe looked like a big movement because it's he was standing directly next to the cardboard cutout of Pau Gasol, <laughs> who, like I said, looked scared for his life. Like this man could have crushed a walnut with his butthole. This dude was tense, tense. Uh, but I also. I mean, people are kind of moving. They're swaying in kind of like a way, you know, like when players are listening to the national anthem right, before yes, the game right, starts. They're right. doing that like pregame sway. Yes. Shannon Brown uh, actually kind of looks like he's struggling a little bit to keep a straight face. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think it's like if it's a cough, that's fine. You know, dad coughs. That's fine. Any of the kids do it. We have a problem. Right. <laughs> I think we we all understood what the assignment was there. I, I, I don't think it detracts from the moment. Um <laughs> 
The next credential, yeah. the next credential is the ear test. What did you hear in this moment? I'd like to pitch you mm. one, Ryan. Michael Cooper. In Boston, you want us? Here we come. He fucking nails it. He, the, the Lakers yeah. as a company, as an institution, as a franchise, the Lakers get storytelling. They get drama. Absolutely. And Cooper's little speech, and Boston, you want us? Here we come. That is just the coolest it's so cold. It's so <laughs> unbelievably cold. Also, the best part about it is it doesn't even look like he looked like he was on the fence of whether or not he should say right. it. He kind of sneaks it yes. in right at the very yes. end. Because you could tell, if you listen to the clip, his voice is shaking. He's yes. nervous giving this speech. Yes. And so you could tell like he's maybe like mentally toiling over, should I say this? Do I really <laughs> want to call them out by name after they beat our ass two years ago? And I'm so glad he did because, you, like you said, they get – the table setting that's necessary to deliver ultimately what the finals that's are right. are a performance right. and he understands that and i appreciate that and i think that's why the lakers are the brand that they are because they've always understood storytelling back even to like bird versus magic they've gotten it they just that's get right. it uh perfectly said i love perfectly it perfectly said um another question we're <laughs> moving away from our moment again asking another personal question i saw on your instagram you had front yeah. row seats, courtside seats to a Lakers game. Oh my god! I'm so yeah, I'm that, so okay. an, I'm so angry with you. I'm in, I'm <laughs> genuinely enraged. I want you to know this that you know we we tell a lot of jokes on this podcast, but the truth is this is no joke. Yeah, I there is a in not insignificant part of me that hates you. That's fair. And you know what? I, I totally get it. If you were in my position, I would hate you too. Uh, and I, and I, I understand it. And frankly, it was just a, a, a kind of like a lucky thing that happened. So I have a friend who happened to uh, to work with the, the Lakers and he happened to have these extra tickets. And, and so he was like, you want to go courtside to a Laker game? And I was like, fucking course I want to go courtside to a Laker game. I found out that morning my fiance and i that day started planning like what we were gonna wear we were like this is gonna be our one courtside moment we got to make sure that like we're ready and and it's obvious that we're fans of the game i like toiled over which hat i should wear (laughs) what shirt i should wear i think i ended up going with my kobe shack shirt um no it it was a dream come true if 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 you never get to experience this it uh, this you know being courtside this is kind of what it's like first thing that jumps to mind and it's, it's obvious these folks on the court are are superhumans. Yes. Like they, it's I. There was a point where uh, in the beginning of the game, Dwight Howard was getting some shots mm-hmm. up before the game. I was standing on the court, and he was standing next to me, and just looking up at him, I was like, "How are we? How how is our circulatory system running on the same machine <laughs> right. right here? Like how 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 <laughs> am I? You know, in the same world as you? This this is." insane he was the largest man i had ever seen incredibly cut like huge like hugh jackman as wolverine chiseled right. while still being seven feet and then like they at one point one of the one of the ball boys because he actually was a fan of the show came over mm. and was like hey you want to hold the ball oh my god and when i held the ball it was like the first time i had ever touched right. the basketball in my entire uh. life like the, it's the first time like a, a basketball was in my hands and it felt foreign um so just just being on the court was like a spiritual experience I bet, to me. I bet. Um, can you can you hear all the trash thing, talk? Oh yes, oh my and, God. and and you know that's that's fun. But honestly, what was more fun was being able to hear 
the the de- defensive callouts right. on like hearing like all of the things that people are saying tactical wise right. on the court. I was just trying to soak it in as much as I could because I knew, you know, this is kind of a fleeting moment in time. It's never going to happen again. So I just got to really soak uh, this in. And uh, well, I, it, I, it, it was it was crazy. I felt like we had a really nice podcast going. It was like really interesting conversation. It was funny. We're talking about ghosts. We're talking about <laughs> yeah. the Lakers. And now everyone yeah. is just turning this off as they're listening to you talk about being courtside because they fucking hate you. That's fair. You know what? I, and I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope you could take solace in the fact that I want that experience for you just as much. I hope you get lucky because I got lucky. I'm very thankful for it. I mean, yeah, truly one of the greatest nights of my entire life. And I hope you understand, whoever's listening to this, that I fully appreciated it and was uh, super thankful that it even happened to me. I couldn't believe it. No, so we, we it, it's, it. it was crazy. We can hear it. It's in your voice. You do a show called Top 5 Beatdown. You go through your top five oh, yeah. top five lists and whatever the category might be. I watched you and Shane do a top five sexiest Disney characters. And when I watched that video, I knew I had to have the guy who voted Vixie, the fox from the 1981 film, The Fox and the Hound, as the number two <laughs> sexiest Disney character of all time. I knew I needed that guy on my show. Yeah, I want to yeah. do a top one beatdown with you right now. We got to go fast. We're, we're running out of time. Should we do a top one? We're just naming one person. A top one non-Laker or top one non-basketball athlete? Favorite. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Let's go with non-Laker. Here we go. Oh, man. That's really tough. You know what's amazing? I'll, I'll buy so you some time th- to think about this. As I was thinking about this question... I went, good God, every player I've ever loved has kind of touched the Lakers in some way. And obviously, I am I lean that way because I am a Laker fan, but there are so many great players. Like, Lamar Odom could have been my answer, but then he, he played for the Lakers. Like, they all, Pau Gasol, yeah. Shaq, they all, LeBron, we're very blessed as a fan base. Um, but the, the question, I'm turning no. the screws on you. Favorite non-Laker, number one, beat down. You know, it's it's a weird sweet spot that I'm trying to nail of a person who's a non-Laker, but also someone who didn't torment us mm-hmm. in, in any way or provide us any trouble. Right. So, you know what? The first person that jumps to mind is probably Allen Iverson. I know he, Great answer. he technically beat us in game one of the 2001 title run, the only blemish on that entire run, but... I just love the way he carried himself. Yes. You know, I'm a smaller dude myself on the court, and I love the way he kind of played with a chip on his shoulder. I think pound for pound, you can make an argument that he's one of the greatest scorers of all time for after sure. Kobe, because I think Kobe's is the greatest scorer of all time. <laughs> um, and honestly, I just uh, it seems that players in the league have a reverence for 100%. for him and and what he meant to the game. I, I remember there was one interview where he was talking about specifically. He was actually talking about Kobe about how he appreciated him not he appreciated Kobe not his accolades and all that stuff but for what he represented mm-hmm. to Iverson mm-hmm. himself Kobe was somebody who made Iverson elevate right. his level of play to make him the best version yep. of himself and I think any true competitor will appreciate someone who always makes you bring your A yes. game and, and that doesn't matter what field you're in so um it's a great answer yeah. a really and obviously answer. The, the 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 step over moment I've I've, gro- I've grown to tolerate it now <laughs> I know you already did a pod on that it pissed me the fuck off, though, when that happened live. Cool. Just because it was so disrespectful. Yes. But then again, we're talking about Kobe spanking a coach's ass <laughs> and airplaning away to his bench. I think I can live with it. Uh, if, if Kobe would have done that to my team, 
I would have thrown my fucking remote control through my television. There's no way my TV comes out of that experience unscathed. Uh, so yeah, I, Iverson. Iverson's probably the a answer. great answer. If you don't love his amazing career, he's just become the most lovable guy since. He appreciates the league. He appreciates the players. He's Allen Iverson is important. He is an important athlete and player, and and I'm so glad you you used him as your answer. The next category is burning questions. These are the questions that Mm -hmm. the answer to these questions, who knows? Maybe it tips the scale one way or the other in terms of the Hall of Fame. And this is a serious goddamn thing. The first ballot Hall of Fame is is a a big honor. A lot of people are, you know, tweeting about about how big of an honor this is. Don't search it, it, but it's happening. So this no, the there. the answer to these this question that I'm about to ask it, it could it could mean the difference between the hall or no hall the question and burning questions here it is are we just being homers are we just being like the worst Lakers fans <laughs> do we are we do we only love this because this is the Lakers like literally you were like Kobe's the best scorer of all time I'm like this Shaq is the coolest Magic is my favorite player like we're like Everything we're talking about is coming back to the Lakers. You're like talking about ghosts and you're going, you know who's the coolest ghost is this old Laker that died. Everything has been about the Lakers. Are we just miserable Lakers fans and we should step back and go, we're only appreciating this so much because it was our team? You know, the short answer is possibly yes. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, to ask me to strip myself of my bias is like, it's impossible. It's asking me not to be a human being. Like we grew up in Los Angeles it just so happened to be home of one of the greatest franchises in all of sports. Like I, I and I don't think that's crazy. If you want to just go by the numbers, you can look at like the market, like actual value of the Lakers as a franchise. I think they're in the top ten. So I feel okay in saying that because it's backed by stats. Uh, this is like this is like I, the Jerry West thing. Like when Jerry, when they're like the show winning time is like Jerry West is crazy. And then Jerry West is like, I'm not crazy. I'm taking you to the Supreme Court. And like he ends up being <laughs> crazy and saying, I'm not crazy. I go, are we miserable Laker fans? And you go, no, we're not miserable Laker fans because the Lakers are the best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look. If I if you if you if you know one thing about Laker fans, you'll know that they're they're famous for their self awareness, and and I stand <laughs> and I'm obviously a testament to that right here. Um, but I do think that when you match this trophy presentation up, this conference finals trophy presentation up with any other trophy presentation in the NBA's yes. history, there is not another one like I it. I agree, and that's undeniable fact. I agree. Right there, it's the coolest shit ever. And I'll go I'll go further. Come on the show and sell me on your favorite team's cool-ass shit. Like, this is cool shit, and if you've got cool shit, come on the show and pitch it to me. This is not about—it is about the Lakers, but it's also not about the Lakers. He took this crazy shot, smacked the coach on the ass, airplane back, and 10 minutes later is the coldest dude on the planet. That is a great sports moment, for God's sakes. I think any night— where you spank an opposing coach in the butt cheeks, and that ranks as the second best moment of that night, you really gotta reevaluate how great of a night that was for sports. And I fucking challenge you to find any player who's put hands on an opposing coach in this high leverage of a situation. I'd love for you to tell it to me, please. A great ad, fantastic. Your career, can we talk about your career for a second? You are at BuzzFeed, how long are you at BuzzFeed? (laughs) I was with BuzzFeed uh, for about five to six years, five to six years, yeah. You build this monster hit show. You you don't have to agree with that. I know that that's the fact. 
and and I can't I can't stress this enough. It's really really hard to make a good show, let alone a monster hit that's very successful. It's very difficult to do it. I know it seems stupid, but there's so it's there's so many things that could go wrong to make a good show. You made a great hit show. You decide to leave BuzzFeed and start Watcher. What make what what makes you do that? Tell me about that decision. I mean, honestly, I, I think BuzzFeed was like monumental to like giving me the opportunity to have a platform like that to even, you know, to, to, to create things with, that people would actually watch. Um, but once I, I, I had that ability and um, the show became successful, it, it kind of became apparent to me like how important ownership is to a creator. And so like while the idea was amazing and I, and I obviously feel enormous ownership over it, uh, you know, just from a creative standpoint and personally – I actually didn't own right. the idea. BuzzFeed right. did, and that makes right. sense because they're the company. Right. They're the ones that gave me the opportunity. But I realized, you know what? I think I, I think that I am capable of making other shows that might get up to some level of success. Right. Maybe not as big as this, but I do think that I, I perhaps have some sort of skill in this. At least that's the bet I was willing mm-hmm. to wager. It, it was kind of like an, you know, the classic bet on yourself right. thing. And if I fail. So be it. I gave it my best shot. I'm kind of like, that's my whole mindset is that I'm going to approach something. I'm going to give it everything I got. And if I fail, I could live with that because I know there's you know no stone left unturned. And when it came to making my own stuff, I was kind of like, you know, it would be really nice to have something like Unsolved again, but actually have ownership over it. Not even from just like just a financial standpoint, but just the ability to then leverage that in any right. way I wanted and branch off or, you know, Basically, freedom, just yes. creative freedom for a creator is like oxygen. And, and I feel like if you don't have it, it's really, it could get stifling. As I get older, I see people like you that make decisions like this. And I go, I want to support this guy because I know what he's doing. Like, I've been through my own career. I've made content. I've, I've, I've had to take notes. I've seen things not succeed. And I see you go, I built this thing, but I want to do this for myself. You should ignited it. You were like, you got to own your masters. If you, you, you want the guy all dancing up in the videos, come to death row. You like built death. You built your own death row. And I now <laughs> look at the content and it's not just entertaining and I enjoy it and I laugh. I also go, I feel like I'm on the ride with you and what you're doing. And so that's why I want to say everyone listening to this, go support this man's content you've, you've got this goddamn fan base your bugars it's just first off having all those fans seems like hell on earth but you, you're doing it i just think it's really <laughs> cool i know you don't like compliments i don't like either we should just be asian and move past this yeah. but i just think it's what yeah. i wanted to, to have you on i wanted to hear you say that because i hope that someone else is listening to this going I, I gosh i want to bet on myself it is fulfilling to bet on yourself and regardless of whether it works out you go you know what man i went out on my shield i went down with my so I, I this worked out the way i wanted it to work out because i was doing what i wanted to do i just think it's amazing that you took that chance and now you're doing it and it's working thanks man you know i really appreciate that it, it and it is tough to accept a, a compliment like that but i could i could definitely take solace in the fact that if me saying that it influences anybody, yeah. like even a single person who's listening to this, to you know similarly bet on themselves and figure like, hey, if somebody's gonna do this shit, why not me? Right. I, I I think I think it was worth it. It's a blessed and privileged position to be able to go. I'm gonna go after this dream of mine, 
It's not an opportunity yeah. that that uh, uh, goes unrecognized, but there are also a ton of people that have that chance that don't have the guts to do it. And you did it, and it's working. And the work and the company that you started now pays other people's bills, and that matters to their lives and to their families. And it's just, I think it's a really cool thing. I think people should support you. The next credential is our X Factor. What's this untouchable thing? What's Is there something special about this moment that 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 could possibly place this in the Hall of Fame. Listen, we've had a lot of fun talking about this. I'm not 100% sold yet. That's a lie. I'm not 100% sold whether this is going to make the first Bell Hall of Fame. Is there an X factor here? Is there something that pushes it over the goal line? Yeah, I think the X factor here is that it's standing on a base of NBA history. Mm. Like the Celtics-Laker rivalry, whether you you know like Great either answer. of the teams – you have to acknowledge the fact yes. that a it's a rivalry and b it's intrinsic to the dna right. of the nba right. it, in fact you can make the argument and now here comes the miserable laker part but uh, <laughs> a miserable laker fan part but i i think you can make an argument that it helps save the brand it helped save yes. the nba the magic bird For rivalry sure. really gave the, the nba an, an image cleanse that it needed because i don't know how many of you folks know this but i mean like the, the league's image was not in a great place before the Lakers yes. and Celtics had their big rivalry. It was like kind of marred by by by, by drug usage, 100%. and uh, uh, it, it it was kind of a boon for the for the league. So I think when you look at this, you zoom out and then zoom back into mm-hmm. this this press conference and realize all of the stuff that preceded it, knowing what this conference means in terms of publicly calling out another franchise while you're accepting a trophy that doesn't mean anything to you because you're so focused on beating them. Yes. There is something to that. It's almost kind of like you don't see that too often in, in, in sports, especially at this level, because it's kind of, it could be seen as kind of like tacky mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. It's something you usually only see in like WWE right. when like The Rock right. says like, oh, The Rock's right. going to mash this guy. Yes. But to see a na- like a worldwide recognized brand say, we don't care That's about right. this trophy. All we care about is spanking that ass in the finals. It's amazing. And I do think that's an excellent What a great answer. I absolutely love that. It is you're you are right. You see this in things that are scripted. This is like the this is like the first page of a classic book. This press conference is like <laughs> we are setting the stage for this battle that's to come, and it, it it it's wrapped up in history, and it's it's not just the championship, it's not just the finals, it's the Celtics and the Lakers, it's Kobe trying to get his revenge. A perfect answer to the X Factor question. One more thing too, another uh, uh, one of the main reasons that people don't typically call another person out like right. this is because it's embarrassing if they don't beat right. them. Yes. Like this, you would want to talk about the receipts. Could you imagine how just crushing it would be to Laker Great fans, point. like just psyche, to if they lose this finals, how many times a day do we see that Michael Cooper, right. you wanted us in here oh we come God. on repeat exactly, on Twitter. You're exactly right. A, a great late ad here. Great late ad. This is a lot to consider, everyone. I'm going to do so carefully. But before then, before <laughs> I weigh in, it's time for the cosine. The floor is yours, Ryan. The question is, does the 2010 Western Conference Finals trophy presentation, which again includes Kobe's incredible Game 6 performance, his 
phenomenal last shot and slapping Alan Gentry on the ass and airplaning back to his bench. And then the coolest, most perfect conference final championship trophy presentation I've ever seen. Should that make the first belt Hall of Fame and why the mic is yours? Look, I could see why people would say that this doesn't deserve to make the first ballot Hall of Fame, especially if you're not a Laker fan. But I think when you consider the history of the NBA and where this falls into that, look, Kobe is as big a part of the NBA's DNA, I would say, as the Lakers are six. Or, you know, he's up there with the Jordans where you you talk about NBA basketball, you can't do it without talking about Kobe Bean Bryant. And the fact that there's never been any kind of conference finals presentation like this, and I don't know if there ever will be, and even if there is, it's going to kind of feel yep. almost like uh, like aped, to <laughs> totally. be honest. It's going to feel kind of totally. copycat-ish. Uh, I think that alone should cement it in the Hall of Fame just because it's so unique, not only to just the actual particulars of the situation and what happened, but also unique in the sense of what it meant to the history of the Lakers franchise and the NBA. Uh and then you just add in the slap is very similar to the Iverson step over in the sense of mm-hmm. it's so insanely disrespectful. It's I don't you you can't really see that anywhere else. I I can't recall off the top of my head any other player playfully just talking shit to the other coach in the middle of a closeout <laughs> game with with that on that stage on national television. Amazing. He dogged this man. <laughs> And then airplanes in front of all their fans to the bench. Just the balls on this man to do any of that. I I think it's a top Kobe moment, and I think it's a top Lakers history moment. Um, And I think for those reasons alone, because of what those three entities mean to the NBA, it should be in the Hall of Fame. A great answer. It's now time for the induction speech. That's when Neil myself i get to make this decision (laughs) i appreciate everything that ryan has said someone has got to make the decision here and it's going to be me i like and really appreciate specificity there are specific moments in your life that really light your hair on fire it could be a part in a song it could be a scene in a movie something that just like gives you the chills gives you goosebumps, just fires you up. I call them let's fucking go moments. You 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 listen to the song, you're just like you're just you're out of your mind, you're so ripped up. You watch your favorite scene that, you know, I, this isn't my favorite movie, but like in the in the in the Boston movie about Ben Affleck and the little dude Renner and he's like I need a favor and he's like whose car are we taking? That's like an awesome scene, right? Yeah, yeah, and the town. The town, yes. <laughs> the, 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 in the in the in the winning time, when uh, 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 Riley uh, turns to Magic and gives him the the vote on the the rookie of the year voting. Here yep. it is. Let's listen to it. Sixty-three to three. What? The rookie vote. Bird won. Sixty-three to three. I'm like, let's go. Let's fucking go man i'm all ripped up and this moment is exactly what that is for me when i watch this i want to fly through a wall that's that's an amazing way to put it so much of the human experience is about the context yes and this context is incredible it's the memories and moments that fire them up that really make NBA an amazing product, it's incredible. It's it's like pulling a slingshot back to maximum level. <laughs> Whenever this is true, and maybe it's like 
over romantic. Maybe it's too dramatic, but it's the truth. Whenever I need a reminder to work harder, to focus more, to not waste time celebrating something transient, when I need that reminder to chop wood and carry water, I watch the 2010 Western Conference Finals trophy presentation and I feel like I can do more. I can focus on what's ahead of me. Maybe that's just me, but it's enough for the first ballot Hall of Fame. Congratulations to the 2010 Lakers. Oh, amazing. I was really, I was really, really rooting for you there, Neil. I, I'm glad you came to the right decision. It would have been such a shame if we had to leave this on, on such a sour note. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's a. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed talking about this. Even if people out there disagree, just the ability to relive this great memory for these the, these couple hours here has been a has been a blessing. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for doing it. What, how can people follow you? What can you plug? Any new shows coming up? What should people be watching out for? Uh, my Instagram is at Ryan Bergara. My Twitter is at Ryan S Bergara. And then uh, I believe Watcher is at We Are Watcher on Twitter and Instagram. That's the the production company I have where we put out a bunch of fun shows on YouTube. Uh, we have a big ghost hunting show coming out in the fall called Ghost Files. It's the uh, the 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 spiritual sequel mm. to the Unsolved series. I think you guys are gonna love it. You could actually Amazing. see the teaser for that on YouTube right now and. Uh, yeah, if if you hated my takes, uh, you, you you know the ats, you know the ats, you have them right there. I'm happy to hear them. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. That's it. That's the show. But before we sign off, I want you to remember one thing: the next time your favorite team celebrates that championship before the championship, please know I'll be somewhere judging them and watching the Lakers go stone cold during the 2010 Western Conference Trophy presentation. A great big thank you to Ryan Bergara for being on First Ballot. Thanks to Rob Babarucci for editing the show. Thanks to Jessica Singh for producing it. Thanks to Rhythm J for all the music. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. And special thanks to Nick Bernstein for all of his constant support. Rate and review the show or whatever. Come back next week for more First Ballot. In Boston, you want us? Here we come. 